Nehemiah chapter 8, we find that when the book of the law was read, the people began to have sorrow in the fact that they uh, recognized their sinful condition. As And by the way, that's, that's what the law of God was for. The Bible says it was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Uh, the keeping of the law never saved anybody. Uh, it was the, the thing that brought knowledge of our sinful condition, the fact that we needed a Savior. It showed us that we needed a Savior. And um, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the law of God is, is what helps us to recognize this. And the people were brought face to face with the law of God, which, by the way, that would be a good thing for you and I from time to time to do, is to sit down, take the Word of God, and say, Lord, show me the areas in my life that don't measure up and that I need to work on, that I need to make sure I get right. And the book of James talks about that as uh, we're to look into it as a natural man would look into a, a glass and see his reflection and uh, see what manner of men and women we are and to be able to get those things right. And uh, so in chapter 8, they begin to sorrow. And Ezra says, don't sorrow, rejoice. He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And anytime God begins to do a work in our hearts, it ought to be something that, that we rejoice in. I, I fear that a lot of times in our churches, uh, the people that are outside that are uh, unchurched and people that are in the world looking at the churches, they look at a bunch of dried up churches that come and they, they hear some lecture that some man gives from the pulpit every, hour, every week for an hour, and they never see the power of God working. They never see God doing something in the hearts of the people. Can I tell you this? When God does a work, there ought to be joy. There ought to be something that happens on the inside. And so Ezra teaches that in chapter number 8. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Then we get to chapter number 9, and this is where the, the sorrow comes. And now they are contrite, and their, their, um, their spirit is a brokenness over their sin and the sins of their fathers. And uh, so they, they understand this, and they through chapter 9, they have one of the greatest, what I consider to be one of the, the greatest prayers of confession uh, in Scripture, what a pattern that is given to us uh, to show us how we ought to confess our sin. And, and, you know, the Bible tells us we are to confess our sin. And, and I don't want anybody to get this misconstrued. We don't confess our sin because we lose our salvation and we need to re be resaved. We confess our sin to restore re our relationship and our fellowship with God. And that's the purpose of it. And it ought to be done regular. It ought to be something that we come to God regular and say, Lord, I need to confess this and I need to get it right. But beyond just agreeing with God verbally and coming to God, I, uh, there are times that uh, you meet people and they say, uh, boy, I, I went and I, I did this and I confessed my sin uh, to God and He forgave me of it. And aren't you glad of God's forgiveness? And aren't you glad of God's eternal mercy? And then we go right out and we do it again. And we do it under the guise of, I can always come back and get forgiveness again. But if you'll notice in chapter number 9 that Ezra told the people, he said, first of all, you need to separate yourself from these people. You need to separate yourself from the things that are causing you to go back into this sin. And then you confess your sin. And the idea being that we need to not only confess our sin, but we need to forsake that sin. And we don't just, we don't just put God's uh, eternal mercy to the test over and over again and, and try to just say, well, it's okay for me to sin because all I've got to do is ask forgiveness and God will forgive me. Well, yes, God will forgive you. But that's no excuse for us to continue in sin. In fact, Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 6. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
And when I got saved, something came inside of me. We call it the Holy Spirit of God and made me alive and quickened me on the inside. And there's something different now. And I've died to sin. When we get uh, baptized, it doesn't make us any more saved. But it is an outward picture of the death of our old nature and burial of our sinful nature and the resurrection to walk in newness of life. We no longer live under the law. We now walk in the Spirit. That's what the whole New Testament deals with, is walking in the Spirit. We now have a desire for the things of God. And so in chapter number 9, we found that confession was not the only thing that needed to take place. There also needed to be that separation. There needed to be that cutting off. And when we come to God and we say, Lord, I've got this sin, and the book of Hebrews talks about the fact that sometimes there are sins that are called besetting sins. And the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, under inspiration of, script, uh, of the Holy Spirit, said this, that they, are so, uh, easily, they, they so easily come upon us. He, says, he said, uh, laying aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. And so one of the ways that we have to uh, deal with our confession is we have to say, Lord, these things that seem to have a hold on me, I need to forsake that. I need to depart from that. I need to separate from that. So that's chapter number 9. We get to chapter number 10. In chapter number 10, we find that the people are recommitting to the covenant that they made with God a number of years ago. God had told them, He said that if you will do these things, if you find it in Deuteronomy, I think it's around chapter 24 or so, uh, 23, 24, God has an entire chapter where He says, if you'll keep the covenant, I promise you I'll do this, I promise you I'll do that, I promise you I'll do that. And another whole chapter where He says, but if you forsake the covenant, you're going to be cursed in this area, and you're going to be cursed in this area, and you're going to be cursed in this area. And so the, the covenant was made. And the people said, we will follow the law. But over the years, they had departed from that. By the way, man can never keep covenant with God. That's the whole reason the Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews had to be the surety of the new covenant. He had to be the guarantor of it. He had to be the one that secured it because man could never keep covenant with God. Our sinful condition, our, our sinful nature still would rear its ugly head out and cause us at some point to break fellowship with God and to break that covenant with God. And every time that we do, we deserve the punishment of that covenant unless... There's a mediator of that covenant that stands in our, in our stead, on our side of the covenant, and says, I've not broken the covenant, and I have paid the price for their breaking the covenant. Put that on my account. I'm so glad the Lord Jesus is our surety. I'll tell you, I'm glad I'm saved, and once saved, always saved, because Jesus is the one that keeps me saved. And so we find these things to be true in Scripture. We get to chapter 10, and these folks are going to reinstate, and they're going to sign their names they're going to say, we're not just going to tell you that we're going to do this. We're going to put it in writing. We're going to keep the covenant of God. And it begins in uh, chapter number 10. We spent a little bit of time on there uh, last week. It begins with the leaders. As we find, it begins with Nehemiah down to about verse number 14. It says the chief of the people. And so all of those that were listed above uh, were involved in that. As we get down to uh, 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 verse number 28, the Bible says then, that the rest of the people, so not just the leaders, not just the Levites, but now we have uh, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers. We talked about the Nethanims, those that were not Israelites. They had been conquered peoples that were brought into, and God had told them, keep this group alive and let them serve under the Levites in the temple. 
And these people came in as a foreign entity to the nation of Israel. But it's interesting to me that even they were willing to say, we want to sign our names as well. He's, he's not, we're not even His chosen people. But we've been allowed to become part of it, and so we'll commit ourselves to Him as well. Aren't you glad that God allowed us to be grafted in? I'm so thankful for that. And uh, these Nephinims, they said, we're going to do this too. And we find in verse number 28, it says, And all they that have separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, and we talked a little bit about that last week, that separation does not just involve separating from something. I, I was listening a, a number of years ago to another preacher. Uh, the fellow's name was Frank Hamrick. And he said, sometimes we're guilty of identifying ourselves by what we are not. And, and, and I thought about that as he made that statement. I thought I, I was trying to understand what he was getting at. And uh, we as, as independent Baptists, we, we hold to uh, standards and we hold to convictions and we want to uh, be above reproach and we want to live a life that has a, a pure testimony for God. And if we're not careful, we'll become against everything and we'll identify ourselves by what we are not. Well, I don't do this. I don't do that. Years ago, when I was a kid, there was a saying that went around and said, I don't drink, smoke, chew, or run with those that do. And, uh, you know, the idea was I, I've kept myself from things. And um, if we're not careful, we'll only focus on what I don't do. But that does not mean that we've separated ourselves unto God. Because I've known some people that have been very, very holy on the outside, and yet on the inside, they're not, their hearts are not after God at all. In fact, there was a group of people in the Bible that were noted as this, weren't there? They were called the Pharisees. In fact, Jesus, when He goes to the Pharisees in the book of Matthew, He talks about the fact that He says, outwardly you're clean. In fact, if you look at every time that Jesus addressed the Pharisees, you will never find one time in Scripture where Jesus condemns them for what they were on the outside. In fact, He commends them on it. He says, you're clean. You're pure. You're on the outside. You're, you're, you're like a, a washed cup. What He condemned them for was what they were on the inside. So can I help us with something this morning? It is not enough for a, a church or a body of believers or a, a Christian individually to say, I am separated from sin. That's a good start, and that's, we certainly have to have that in our lives. But that's not enough. We haven't gone far enough at that point. We don't just separate ourselves from sin. We separate ourselves unto God. The greatest commandment of Scripture, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Every day when I walk with the Lord, every day when I come to Him in a time of devotion, I'm not talking about having devotions. I'm talking about having a heart that was devoted to Him and spending time with Him. And we don't punch a time clock on that. And we don't check off our reading list in that time period. This is a time where we come and we draw close to God there ought to be every day a time where our hearts are drawn closer to Him and to love Him more every day. Why? Because I want to separate myself not only from the world, but I want to separate myself to Christ. By the way, you can't do one without doing the other if you're, if you're pursuing Christ. If you're saying, I'm going to draw closer to the Lord, you cannot do that without separating from the world. You find somebody that says, oh, I love the Lord and they're living like the world, then one of, the true, one of those two statements is not right. The Bible says if we love Him, we will keep His commandments. Now, it is possible to separate from the world and not love God. But you can never love God the way we ought to 
and not be separated from the world. It can't happen. The Bible talks about the fact that there are, and Jesus gave illustration of the fact that there are streams that have bitter waters and it can't give off good water, or good water that can't give off bitter. And He talks about the trees, some that give off bad fruit and some that can give off good fruit, and they can't do both. They're one or the other. Can I tell you this? If we separate ourselves and put our hearts towards loving Him, we will begin to start separating from the world. I fear that sometimes we preach so strongly on the outside of the cup. And by the way, I think that there ought to be. We need to teach that from Scripture, that the outside ought to be clean. But so many times I think we try to put all the effort and labor on cleaning up the outside, and the inside hasn't been taken care of yet. There's not been a drawing of our hearts to God. There's not been a walking for Him. And so we begin to clean up the outside of the cup simply because we want people to think well of us or because of the group of people that we associate with or the churches that we identify as. That's not a good enough reason to have standards. A good enough reason to have standards and clean the outside of the cup is because I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to please Him. And I know that by cleaning this outside that it pleases Him. My motivation is my love for Him. And so these folks in verse number 28 says that they separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. And we started on this last week, and I said we'd delve a little further into that this week. And I want to take a few moments to deal with this idea of knowledge and understanding. There is a difference between them, uh, between knowledge and understanding. If you will, take your Bibles, and we're going to turn to several passages, so let's take a look at them. Let's go to Proverbs chapter number 1. Proverbs chapter number 1, and let's look in verse number 7. Proverbs chapter number 1, verse number 7. Solomon writes, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we find here that where do we get knowledge from? Where do we get knowledge from? The fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of knowledge. A desire to know His Word. You ever met somebody who's never heard about the Lord? They've never been in church, and they start having an interest. The first thing they want to do is find a Bible. Why? Because they, they've now got a fear of the Lord, and they want to know about Him. They want to learn about Him. They know that He exists, and they want to know about Him. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. There's got to be that desire for it. But I want you to notice also in Proverbs chapter number 9, as we go over just a few more chapters... Proverbs chapter number 9, and look with me, if you will, in verse number 10. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? It's the beginning of what? Wisdom, okay? Wisdom is a little different than knowledge, isn't it? Uh, it's no longer just having the knowledge, but it's taking that knowledge and putting it application to it and saying, I'm going to make decisions and choices based on my knowledge. And so we find that the fear of the Lord is not only the beginning of knowledge, it's also the beginning of wisdom. It's interesting to me, the Bible all seems to fit together, doesn't it? And Jesus, uh, God wrote about Himself, He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. It's interesting that Paul wrote, He that hath begun a good work in you, hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we find that, that Jesus is not only the beginning of all this, 
We have to have that fear of the Lord all the way through to the place where it becomes wisdom and understanding. And so there's, there's a distinct difference here, but the key to all of it is there needs to be a fear of the Lord in our hearts and our lives. Boy, that was interesting. <laughs> you want to grab that, Brother Keith? Our door just opened up on us there. Uh, so it, uh, there ought to be a, a, a fear of the Lord all the way through this. In other words, you don't get to just say, okay, I have an interest in the things of the Lord. I'm going to get to know about Him. And then, and then you just kind of stop and put it on the shelf and you've got all this knowledge up there. It's got to take, it's got to take and work its way into the heart and become something that we take heed to. I, I like what the psalmist wrote. He said, wherewithal shall the young, in Psalm 119, verse 9, wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto. And I love that word, by taking heed thereto. It, it's, it goes beyond hearing it. It goes beyond even listening to it. It gives the idea that I've not only heard and listened, but I now have applied it to my life. I'm allowing it to do its work inside of us. I, I like using this phrase. I let it saturate my heart. I want the Word of God not to just touch the outside. I want it to, I want it to saturate in. I want to be like a sponge. It just soaks it all inside. And let, let the Word of God do its work here. Look with me in Psalm 111. The 111th Psalm, if you will. Psalm 111 and verse number 10. The psalmist writes this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that, what? Do His commandments and... uh, Do His commandments, His praise endureth forever. Uh, So we find that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom again here. But notice this. He says, a good understanding have they that what? Do His commandments. So how do we get from knowledge to understanding? Well, first of all, there has to be a fear of the Lord. But secondly, there has to be a doing of what we know. When the Bible says, be ye holy, for I am holy, that's not just a verse to memorize and have in our heads that we can quote. It's a verse for us to say, I want to strive to have that in my life. I want to put that application to it. Why? Because now I have understanding of it. It's interesting to me how many times the Bible speaks about the fact that, 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 that people were needful for someone to come along and to help give the understanding of it. And in fact, if you read earlier in Nehemiah, we talked about this as we got to chapter 7 and chapter 8. As Ezra gets up, the Bible says that they read the law and gave the sense thereof, that the people could have understanding in the matter. They could understand the truth. The Ethiopian eunuch, when Philip came to him, he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I except some man should guide me? There are times that we need to be able to help bring knowledge to a place of understanding. There are people that know about the things of the Lord, but don't understand them. I sat in a fellow's uh, living room a number of years ago. His name is Brian Maloney. sat there for about an hour and a half. At that time, you know, I think he was about 43 years old or so. had a family, had a wife and a daughter. And it was interesting to me as I sat there. He said, yes, I was raised in a church. My mom and dad were both deaf. And he said, we went to a deaf church, had a deaf pastor, so everything was done by sign language. He said, I was a hearing kid, and I was just a kid. And he said, you know how that is, Pastor. He said, you know, you're sitting there, and you're not going to pay attention. You're a hearing kid. Your mind's everywhere else. You're doing all kinds of stuff. You're not watching the preacher up there. 
And I said, Brian, I said, do you know about Jesus Christ? He said, yes, I do. I said, do you know uh, why he came to this earth? He said, well, I, I, I said, you know, he came to this earth to die on the cross. He said, yes, I've heard all that. I know about Christmas. I know about Easter. I know that he died on the cross. I know that he went in the grave. I know that he rose again the third day. Brian said, I know all of that. I said this question to him. I said, Brian, do you know why he did that? He said, no. And I thought, how can a man, 40-some years old, could have shared the, the elements of the gospel to us as well as anybody, but he didn't have understanding. I said, Brian, the reason he came to this earth was because you had a sin debt that you couldn't pay, and he came to pay it for you. And I'll never forget the look on his face. His eyes lit up and he looked at me and he said, so that's why he came. Forty-some years old. I'm not talking about on a mission field, folks. I'm talking about in the United States of America. People who do not have understanding. They have knowledge. They've heard of God. They've spoken of God. They've, they've heard of Jesus Christ. One of the great things that we have to deal with when we're sharing the gospel with somebody is making sure that they have understanding. God needs to deliver us from people that will share uh, the, the, the elements of the gospel and then say a prayer after me and tell that person that they're saved. The truth is they have no understanding. There needs to be an understanding. There needs to be a conscience. There needs to be the drawing of the Holy Spirit in their heart to show them that they need to trust Christ as their Savior. These folks, the Bible says that they had knowledge and understanding. It caused them to say, because we have the knowledge of the covenant, and we understand the implications of it, we're going to commit ourselves to it. We're going to sign our names, and we're going to say, Lord, we want to renew this covenant with You. We want to, we want to rededicate ourselves, reconsecrate ourselves to follow this covenant that You've made with us. Why? Because they didn't just have knowledge. They had understanding. Look with me, if you will, in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And let's look in verse number 15. Very familiar passage of Scripture. The Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As Christians, a lot of times we are guilty of having knowledge. But we don't rightly divide the word of truth because we don't have understanding. We can quote a verse... But the truth is, we don't understand what it's trying to say to us sometimes. I've had a number of times where people have come to me and said, Pastor, this verse says this, and, and I want to I want to claim and I want to have it as part of, part of my life. And it's something that they've pulled out of context. Our world is full of churches that are seeker-friendly churches, word-of-faith churches, these people that come out and say that it's not God's will for 
you to be sick or to be poor. I don't know where they get that. Well, I, they, they pull verses out of context in Scripture. But I'll tell you this, our Bible is replete with verses of Scripture that tell us that we will suffer, that we will have persecution. Paul said, I know how to be abased. I know how to be abound. He understood that the Christian life is not all about being healthy and wealthy. The Christian life is about trusting God through no matter what the circumstances are. These people that get up and they begin to teach about all this stuff, they pull verses out and they have knowledge and they, they talk about these verses that say, no weapon formed against me will stand, or some of these other verses that they pull that are uh, not even a King James Version verse. They'll say, this is the reason why God uh, has promised these things, that you won't ever be sick and it's not His will for you to be sick. What about Job? What do they do with that chapter? Do they just throw that book out of the Bible? Well, it's not, it's not God's will for you to be tempted. Well, what about our Lord and Savior who was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted? God never promised us a life of ease. He promised us a life of His strength. He's promised us a life of Him walking through the valley of the shadow of death even with us. He's promised us joy in the valleys. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Oh, that we would have the joy of the Lord. Look with me, Colossians chapter number 1, and we'll be done. Colossians chapter 1. Hopefully we'll finish Nehemiah chapter 10 next week. I've got one more section I would like to deal with on principles that we find in Nehemiah chapter 10. Principles that we find about applying God's truth. If there's any way possible for you to not not miss, <laughs> I know it's hunting season, if there's any way possible to not miss next Sunday morning, one of the probably one of the greatest needs in our day and age is for God's people to know how to take the truth of God's Word and to apply it. And there are four principles that I believe are given in Nehemiah chapter 10. We're going to look at them next Sunday. There are four principles I believe they're critical that teach us how to take the truth of God's Word and to apply it to our hearts and our lives. So don't miss next week. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, give me just a moment to get there because I was talking while I was doing that. and wasn't turning. All right, Colossians chapter number 1. And let's look at verse number 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. Notice this. In all what? Wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is what Paul says we pray for you for. Not that you'll just have the knowledge, but that you'll have the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Uh, well, there are so many times, there's so much more that could be said on that. Maybe we'll touch on that early next Sunday. We're just out of time this week. Um, I, I'm going to spend just a few minutes on that particular point next week at the very beginning, and then we'll get into our others. But um, can I encourage you in this? Uh, let's study. Let's understand the Word of God so that we can rightly divide it. We can tell it to others in the right way, within context. We can take God's Word and not be ashamed 
I've been a preacher now for a long time. I've encouraged every time I've ever gotten up to preach, every time I've been around people that I'm preaching to, I've encouraged them. If you ever find something that I'm wrong on in Scripture from the pulpit, please come and tell me. Because my desire is to be right. And sometimes I'm a man just like everybody else. And no matter how much I pray and how much I study, I'm still a man and I'm still fallible. There ought to be a desire in every Christian's heart to have right dividing of God's Word. And folks, that comes through study. That comes from understanding and not just knowledge. Uh, We need to so much seek for these things. And um, again, if there's ever a time, and I've told our folks this so many times over the years, there's ever a time that you think I've missed the mark in the passage, and there have been some. And I'm grateful for the people that have come and said, Pastor, I think you've missed it. We go back and we look at Scripture. We find out, is it right? Is it, did, I, did I miss the mark on that one? Because we want to be right. We want to be accurate. We want to rightly divide the Word of God. And so I hope that will be a help to you this morning. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed. And our next service will start in about ten minutes. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for Your Word, how it encourages us, how it strengthens us, how it instructs us in righteousness. We're asking that You would bless in the service to come, that You would speak to our hearts. Lord, may Your Holy Spirit do His work. And Lord, as we look forward to next Sunday as we finish up chapter 10 of the book of Nehemiah, I pray that You would give guidance and direction. Help us to apply the truth that we have learned and to put it into practice in our lives. Dismiss us now with your blessings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.